Right, well, I should go ahead by way of um, disclaimer and let you know that I had not uh, prepared anything to share with you today. I had not planned on sharing this morning. Pastor Matt was going to do that. I got a call about 5 o'clock last night that um, he had come down with a very unpleasant um, stomach bug. He's not able to be with us. I want to take a minute and pray uh, for him this morning and uh, then, uh, you know, uh, jump into what I have. But if you were looking for a, an outline, normally I would have that prepared for you. That's why I don't have an outline for you today because... I didn't have a chance to get that done, but Father, we want to pray uh, for Pastor Matt as he's recovering uh, this morning, uh, that you would strengthen him and his body, that you would touch him and heal him and his body uh, today. Uh, we love him and, and we miss him, and, uh, and, and we pray that uh, you would uh, take care of him and bring him quickly through uh, this thing. We pray for the rest of his family, that you would protect them and uh, keep them safe uh, and, and free from this as well. Lord, we pray for all those in our fellowship right now uh, in need of a physical touch, in need uh, of, of uh, some, some healing work, uh, uh, physically, emotionally, or otherwise, in their bodies. Lord, we lift up your people to you today, uh, many, many people uh, um, in need of a touch, Lord, in need of, uh, of, of something of, of strengthening and healing. For, and so, Lord, we just lift them to you and, and pray that uh, for them uh, in Jesus' name. And we thank you for that. Amen, and hallelujah, and amen. All right, uh, okay. Um, well, for the last uh, th two weeks, the two previous Sundays before this, uh, I've shared with you some thoughts uh, from Psalm 23. And this morning, I want to go back there, kind of start, uh, at least begin this morning again, and end, hopefully, in Psalm 23. But I want to share with you this morning, really, uh, uh, something a bit more theological, what is, for me, the pressing thought the, the pressing truth uh, that led me to start sharing the last few weeks out of Psalm 23 in the first place. So I want to take a couple minutes this morning, if I can, to, to try and, and if, to help you grasp, maybe just perhaps a little bit more, the deep theological grounding, the, 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 the powerful driving theological reality that kind of under, undergirds Psalm 23. And so just to get us focused and moving on that, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as you're able and honor the Word of God. And once again this week, we're going to read together Psalm 23. Uh, if you're with me in the Center for New Life, I'll read the plain text. If you'll join me in reading the highlighted portions. If you're worshiping with us virtually, if you'll just read the text as it pops up there on the screen, that way we'll walk through together. Psalm 23, beginning at verse 1. This is what the Bible says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And you may be seated. Now, I want to just use kind of, a, kind of as a launching point, a starting point uh, this morning, the last two verses of the psalm, Psalm uh, verses 5 and 6, where the psalmist once again uh, reveals this profound and powerful tension. You find it throughout the psalm, this profound and powerful tension. You prepare a table before me, he writes, in the presence of my enemies. 
you do this precious thing for me in the middle of rotten circumstances. And you do this precious thing for me as far as I'm able to tell without always changing those circumstances. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, presumably still in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life in spite of the presence of my enemies. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Or finally, mercifully, there will be no more enemies. At Resurrection Church, we love the Bible. We recognize it as a precious gift from God, the authoritative written word of God. But to interpret and apply it correctly, to rightly divide the Word of God, to to rightly handle the, the Word of truth, as the Apostle Paul instructs us to do in the Bible, you must understand what it is. The Bible is the great story of God. It's the story of His plan and His intention for this world. It's the story of God's good creation, its subsequent fall and brokenness, and God's great redemption plan inaugurated and centered in Jesus Christ, by which He intends, through which He intends to bring about in all of its richness and beauty and glory, the ultimate fullness of His original creation intention for all of eternity, what Jesus calls the kingdom of God. And with that plan in mind, to eternally restore the original intention design in light of the glorious gospel of Jesus, which brings that plan to fruition, I want to ask you this morning, what is the hope of the gospel? What is the hope in which you were saved? Now, I want you to consider the question, but please don't answer it out loud. What is the hope of the gospel. And let me just give you a little hint. If your answer involves heaven, heaven is the hope of the gospel, that's not the right answer. In fact, the, the truth of the matter is, biblically speaking, heaven as it exists right now is actually an in between stage. So the short answer to the question, what is the hope of the gospel, is the hope of the gospel is eternal life. But that begs the question, what does that mean? And what does that look like? Because for an awful lot of Christians, eternal life means when you die, you go to heaven. That's not at all how the Bible portrays it. The eternal life promised in the Bible is not a, a life as a disembodied spirit living forever in a non-material heaven. It is not leaving your body here on earth as your spirit goes to heaven for all eternity. That is not the hope of the gospel. That is not the promise of the gospel. That's not how the Bible presents it. The eternal life promised in the Bible is not the life being experienced right now by your Christian loved ones who have gone before you. Like you, 
you need to listen to this, like you, they are still waiting for the fullness of the kingdom of God. Without a doubt, the life they're experiencing right now is glorious. But it is not the hope held out in the gospel. When you read Revelation chapters 4 and 5, you see that great multitude of saints standing before the throne of God, worshiping and praising the Lamb of God. That is not a picture of what life will be like once Jesus comes back. That's a picture of what's going on right now. Well, what's happening right now in heaven. That's what our brothers and sisters who have preceded us in the Lord, that's where they find themselves right now. But it is not a picture of the eternal life promised in the gospel. Because the eternal life promised in the gospel is directly tied to the resurrection of the dead. And the resurrection of the dead is a resurrection of the body. A real flesh and bone body. The, the, the kind of body Jesus had when he was resurrected from the dead. A body that can be touched. A body that can eat food. A body that is no longer corruptible. That's, that, that's no longer subject to sickness and decay. A real, this body, like that. This body changed and transformed like that. The, a real bona fide material body that will go on to live and function and love forever in the real material world that is the new heaven and the new earth. Where the Lord himself dwells and reigns out of the new Jerusalem. Forget all those silly cartoon images of folks with harps on clouds. Eternal life will have a lot more in common with this life than you know right now. But it will be life in a body not unlike this one, although incorruptible and perfected, in a world incorruptible and perfected, but without the effects of the fall, without the aftermath of the curse. It'll be life as it was meant to be in the beginning. It's not that God created the world and Adam and Eve, and then we broke it. He said, well, that was a bad idea. Let's try something different. But, 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 but the salvation plan of God, the gospel of God, is to go back to the original plan and get it right. Not that God got it wrong, but that we will get it right. And we'll experience life in a material body, in a material existence, in a new heaven and a new earth, centered around a new Jerusalem, without all the trappings and curses of the fall. Jesus inaugurated this new life with his own resurrection from the dead. And in Jesus and through Jesus, this new life, this new world, what the Bible calls the kingdom of God, in Jesus and through Jesus, that kingdom of God has begun to break its way into this world. It has begun, if you're a Christian, to break its way into you. It has begun, if you're a Christian, to begin to reshape you and change you and reform you from the inside out. But if you're paying any attention at all, you can tell there's still a long way to go. Too often in this world right now, wickedness and selfishness and oppression abound. 
Too often in this world, the poor are trampled underfoot. The rich make themselves richer. These bodies, far from being incorruptible, break down and tear up and wear out. And this is a gospel reality, a gospel truth that you and I must navigate each and every day. Christ has died. Christ has risen. The price has been paid once and for all. The way has been opened to life and peace with God through Jesus. The Holy Spirit has been poured out, and now He lives inside of you if you are a follower of Jesus. The Spirit of God is right now inside of you if you are a follower of Jesus. And the Bible says He is a deposit guaranteeing, catch this, what is to come. He is there inside of you guaranteeing what is not yet here. The fullness of the eternal life in the fullness of the kingdom of God. The Bible says the Holy Spirit inside you right now is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. That is the redemption of our bodies, the fulfillment of the fulfillment of God's salvation promise in the resurrection of the dead and the fullness of the kingdom of God. That Christians have entered eternal life already is a glorious gospel truth. It's simply true. If you are born again, you have passed from death to life. You have entered eternal life already. That the fullness of that life is still to come is also a glorious gospel truth. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Right now in this present world, right now in this present moment, He prepares a table before you in the very presence of your enemies. Because right now in this present moment, your enemies have not yet been removed. He anoints your head with oil. He makes your cup overflow. He pursues you with His goodness and love. And He will continue to do those things all the days of your life. All the days of this life. Even in the valley of the shadow of death. Even in the face of real evil. Even in the presence of your enemies. Because right now, you and I are living in a world of wildflowers and leukemia in a world alive with the goodness of God and awash in the horrors of sickness and sin. A world alive with beauty, with God's wildly creative genius, and a world that's dying every minute because of its widespread rejection of Him. You and I are living in a broken world waiting for the new one that's been promised. The coming fullness of the kingdom of God. And while you wait, by the way, you're supposed to be an agent right here of the goodness of the world that's still to come. An agent of the kingdom of God right here, taking every chance you get to love and bless and help and heal. To share the kingdom that's growing inside of you with the people in the world all around you. And nothing 
could possibly be more important than for you to get hold of that reality. In Romans chapter 13, through the Apostle Paul, God calls you to live in this world a life marked and defined by radical love. And then the instructions continue. And do this, he writes, live this life of radical love. Do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your summer because, listen to this, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. <clears throat> to live as an authentic follower of Jesus, to live in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ and in line with the word of God in the Bible, you must get a hold of this Bible narrative. And it starts with understanding the present time. Understanding where your life right now fits into God's gospel timeline. Understanding that this world in which you live and function right now is a world of wildflowers and leukemia. So let me just go ahead and jump right into the fire as I make my way toward closing. Understanding this present time, that the fullness of your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed, that, that, that yes, you have been saved, but that the fullness of that salvation is still to come. Understanding that the night is nearly over and the day is almost here. Understanding that fundamental gospel truth deals a whopping death blow to the sort of fatalistic hyper-Calvinism that causes Christians the awful pain of trying to puzzle out why God keeps doing painful things. Why God would give your grandma cancer. Or why God would want your daughter to die in a fiery car accident. A proper apprehension of the gospel, a firm grasp of the plan of God, and a true reading of the scripture which brings those other things into focus makes it also very clear that not everything in this world right now is exactly as God wants it to be. Because listen, listen, when everything in this world becomes exactly as God wants it to be, that is the very definition of the fullness of the kingdom of God. I'm going to say it again. When everything in this world functions exactly like God wants it and is exactly what God wants it to be, that is the very definition of the fullness of the kingdom of God, and that day is near, but it is not yet. That day, the day, as Paul calls it here, that bright, shining, glorious day when everything is as it should be, when every wrong has been made right and every evil has been judged and punished, when faith has become sight, when every single thing that happens is exactly what God intends and desires to happen, that day, Paul says, is almost here. The night, the period that precedes that day, the period still marked by darkness 
the night when bad things happen even to good people, the night, Paul says, is nearly over. But it's not over yet. So please, 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 when you encounter hardship and pain in this world, do not automatically assume that God is the source of it. And do not automatically say, do not automatically imagine that it's happening for a reason. That's not a biblical position. You live in a world of wildflowers and leukemia. You live in a world between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the rest of us. A world that still waits and groans for the fullness of the kingdom of God to come. Sometimes bad things happen in this world for a reason. Sometimes bad things just happen in this world. Understanding the present time. The gospel perspective deals a death blow to the sword of fatalism that sees God as the cause of every pain. And it deals a death blow to the sort of reckless triumphalism that suggests Christians should never get sick and every sick Christian should be healed. I've heard people try to defend this position biblically. Sometimes by suggesting that the Greek word translated salvation in the New Testament, soteria, the New Testament Bible word for salvation, that it literally means wholeness and health and healing and well-being and prosperity and safety, and that is true. That is precisely what it means. Salvation means more than being rescued and going from hell and going to heaven when you die. Salvation means wholeness, fullness, absolute everything. God, imagine for you, fullness and healing and well-being in every conceivable way, and that's what Jesus died to bring you. That is what salvation means, and that is precisely the sort of salvation that is nearer now than when you first believed. That is exactly the sort of salvation promise that is the promise of the gospel, that is the plan and intention of God, and that one day is going to come at the return of Jesus and the ushering in of the glorious coming of the new heaven and the new earth, emerged heaven and emerged earth, where God himself rules and reigns in person from the new Jerusalem. And that day is almost here, but not yet. Yes, if you've given your life to Jesus, eternal life for you has already begun. You have already passed from life to death. Eternal life has entered you. The Spirit of God is inside of you, guaranteeing what's still to come. In the meantime, enjoy the wildflowers. Maybe even plant a few, maybe even pick a few and give them to someone who needs some encouragement. But do not let the temporary presence of very real hardship and very real pain confuse you or wipe out your faith. Surely goodness and love will follow you all the days of your life, even in the presence of your enemies. 
and one day you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever where there will be no more enemy. Let's pray. Father, as always, we thank you for the power and the clarity of your word, your word by which we're instructed, Lord, your word by, by which uh, um, life makes sense and, and is given meaning, your word that shows us how to navigate the wild contradictions and the profound tensions we encounter in a world that is not functioning the way you originally created it to. Father, help us see things biblically. Help us interpret life, expect life, live life, and function in life according to the truth of the gospel and the truth of your word. Encourage your people, O oh Lord our God. For those who are, things are really quite good right now, may they spend their time and their energy and their opportunity right now to bless and encourage and help those who are struggling. For those who are struggling, Lord, in Jesus' name, increase their hope, increase their faith, meet them, comfort them, restore their souls, provide for them food in the presence of their enemies, protect them with your rod and your staff, remind them that your goodness and love pursues and chases and surrounds them about. Even sometimes when that's hard to see. Use your people to make a difference in the world. Use us as agents of your kingdom in this world. May we take the kingdom that is growing inside us and spread it and share it all around, showing it, demonstrating it to the people around us. And when we encounter the very real trials and tensions and difficulties of life, in a fallen world. Protect and encourage and help us. May we encourage one another in truth and in love. And may we trust you through it all. In Jesus' name, amen.